Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. So uh, my seminary experience was bookend by two um, very powerful spiritual experiences. It was just about the first two weeks into our first semester that seemingly out of nowhere, um, I began to feel sluggish. I was tired, running a low-grade fever, and I had just no energy. I thought it was nothing at first, but by the end of the week, I went to the doctor's office, and much to my surprise, after drawing blood, the doctor came in and reported that my liver enzymes were all out of whack and all crazy, and he was pretty confident that I had hepatitis. Had no reason, just in case you're asking those questions, had no reason whatsoever. Um, But it was a Friday afternoon, and so he said that uh, I'd have to come back on Monday with uh, not having a fasting blood draw and all that sort of stuff um, to take it. But however, the what he shared with me was that the likely consequences would that I would have to withdraw from seminary um, and spend probably quite a bit of time recuperating and getting it well. Devastating news to say the least. Went home um, from the doctors and Nancy and I called our families, we called the rector and our home church and we asked for prayer. And I vividly remember the rector um, telling us this was definitely spiritual warfare. And they'd be praying fasting all weekend. Monday, the doctor was pretty surprised to discover that my numbers had significantly dropped. It didn't look like I had hepatitis, and if you're wondering, I did let him know the truth. Um, But the following week, I was completely back to normal, and it didn't distract my life at all. Fast forward to the end of my seminary, and for those of you who attended our Holy Spirit weekend, I apologize for repeating a brief version of this same story. Um, I'll make it condensed. We were expecting our third child. Nancy is uh, a retired labor and delivery nurse, and uh, having had to have two C-sections, she really wanted to naturally deliver our third child, which the doctors allowed, Um, but it was uh, unlikely is what they said. So we called our church to prayer, and we called the prayer team, and Our daughter was safely delivered naturally. However, shortly after coming home, our second son had his first epileptic seizure, and he and I were now in a different hospital in Northern Virginia. And yes, we called yet again for more prayer. And as I say, there's much more to this story, but for our purpose this morning, it would not be till the beginning of my ministry where um, during a powerful spiritual warfare conference, Our son was healed and has had no further seizures. Now, I suspect it's not going to surprise you all to know that Nancy and I and our entire family absolutely believe in the power of prayer and of healing. But I also hope it won't surprise you to know that we also believe in the reality of Satan and spiritual warfare. Our gospel this morning comes from Mark's first chapter, which is where we've been for the last couple of weeks We'll be reading from Mark's gospel throughout this year, and so we just made it through the first chapter with all the events that have gone on. And what's interesting to consider is what the gospel writers, in writing their gospel, were focused on. Surely you're aware that the the emphasis on these four gospels is a little bit different. 
and have different themes and, and a distinct understanding of Jesus' mission and character in each one of them. So Matthew, for example, um, he's a, a teacher, a new lawgiver like Moses. In John, he creates unexpected and imaginal abundance. In Luke, Jesus is the one who releases those captives and heals the infirm and plays pray, the good news to the, uh, the, the impravered. The Lord's favor to all. And in Mark, he picks a fight with a demon. He picks a fight with a demon to open it up. Matthew Henry writes, The devil is here called an unclean spirit because he's lost all the purity of his nature because he acts in direct opposition to the Holy Spirit of God. That's where Mark begins, is a battle that we face in a spiritual warfare. Now, before going further, I want to share one, uh, what I want to just say, sad story from seminary. The campus at Virginia Seminary um, in Alexandria, Virginia, is gorgeous if you've never seen it. It's a beautiful facility. The faculty live on the ground, so in October they hosted um, a trick-or-treating for the families. And much to my surprise, not one, but several of my fellow seminary students came with their children dressed in cute little devil costumes. C.S. Lewis Institute reports the following. It says, Secularization driven along by a naturalism that denies the existence of anything spiritual or metaphysical has had a profound effect on Americans, whether they believe it or not. In a Barna research report, six out of ten Americans reject the existence of Satan, indicating the devil or Satan is merely a symbol of evil. In 2009, Barna reported that 59% of professing Christians rejected the existence of Satan. And only 26% strongly agreed that they believe that Satan is real. C.S. Lewis himself wrote that the first aim of devils is to give, an, give you an anesthetic, to put you on your, off your guard. Only if that fails, do you become aware of their existence. Church historian Richard Lovelace says, a study of this subject throughout the history of Christian experience reveals that leaders in most other periods of the church's history have found conflict with fallen angels to be a regular feature of their daily existence and have sought to cope with it in biblical terms. Anglican priest, prolific author, and theologian John Stott said, it is unfashionable nowadays in the church, even while Satanism flourishes outside of it, to believe either in a personal devil or personal demonic intelligence under his command. But there is no obvious reason why church fashion should be the director of theology, whereas the plain teaching of Jesus and his apostles, not to mention the church in subsequent centuries, endorses their existence. The other probably most prominent Anglican scholar of the 20th century, J.I. Packard, wrote the following. He said, the Christian's life is not a bed of roses, it's a battlefield on which he has constantly to fight for his life. The first rule of success in war is to know your enemy. To know your enemy. And Stott agreed. He said, we need to rid our minds of the medieval caricature of Satan, dispensing with the horns, the hooves, the tail, where we are left with a biblical portrait of a spiritual being, highly intelligent, immensely powerful, and utterly unscrupulous. We are not talking about a cartoon character who we dress our children up like. We have an enemy that the Bible describes as Satan, 
in Hebrew, the adversary or the devil, with names like slanderer, tempter, deceiver, liar, murderer, accuser, and evil one. He's an evil supernatural being and a fallen angel. And he tries to deceive us about who Jesus is and what he has said. You recall back in the garden when the devil says to Adam, did God really say? And jumping a little bit ahead and to look at our unclean spirit, he says to the gospel, he says, he cries out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Don't be duped. This unclean spirit is trying to change the dynamics right there in our midst. Everybody knew the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. But here, the unclean spirit throws doubt. He says, you're from Nazareth. Nothing good can come from Nazareth. Certainly not the Messiah. So we must know that we have an enemy and who that enemy is. So then we can engage in the spiritual battle. Now again, C.S. Lewis in his, in his commentary says <clears throat> to be careful, which I definitely would want, recommend this morning, because he says there are two equal and opposite errors which can arise regarding devils. One is the disbelief in their existence, and the other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Obviously, I'm emphasizing our lack on the first rather than the second. Hopefully, having reminded you of the reality of Satan, I do even more want to remind you that he's a created being, he's not eternal, he's not self-existent, and he's not equal to God in any respect. He's not omnipresent, he's not omniscient, and he's not omnipotent. He can't read our thoughts. And most importantly, he was defeated by Jesus at the cross. God and the devil are not equally matched opponents like some dualism. God is infinitely more powerful than the devil. The problem is, the devil's still at large and is a dangerous foe that we have to face. Luke writes that upon his return from the wilderness battling Satan, the devil had entered, ended every temptation. He departed until an opportune time. Peter tells us that our adversary prowls around looking for it. It would be at the start of his own ministry, right after his baptism, when Jesus was driven in the wilderness to face the battle. And now here we are in Mark's gospel this morning, Immediately, if you remember Mark's sort of prominent word, he emphasizes it. Here, these newly called disciples that had immediately followed Jesus, they'd moved and they'd come into Capernaum. And in Capernaum, immediately they went on the Sabbath and entered the synagogue, and Jesus was teaching. And Mark writes the following. He says, They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And after that confrontation with the Spirit, they were all amazed. So they questioned, what is this new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits. You see, those in the synagogue were used to teachers, but now walks in Jesus. He speaks clear and plain. He preaches from God's Word, not about God's Word. And Mark says they were amazed at his authority. Here in the synagogue, Jesus is confronted by a demon in the synagogue. Did you hear that? It is in the synagogue where Jesus is confronted. You see, it's in the church where Satan wants to make his greatest impact. And Mark knows that the first line of combat in the battle of a believer 
facing the devil, likely could be right in the church. It's what happened to Jesus, and he wants all of us to be aware of this enemy and his attacks upon us. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's always been the devil uses error, deception, division, temptation, persecution, offense, pride and power, and other conflicts to undermine the witness of the gospel in the body. And he also uses them to hinder the ministers, minister missionaries, and others engaged in preaching God's truth and spreading the gospel. Listen to what Paul himself says to the Thessalonians. He says, since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, but not in heart, we endeavored more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. There are three, the church recognizes, the Bible recognizes, there are three major hindrances to following Jesus. The world the flesh, and the devil. And these hindrances hold us in blindness and bondage Become before we come to faith in Christ. After conversion, they interact with one another to create a challenging array of problems for every disciple. You recall it was just a few weeks ago where we had baptisms here in the church. The first questions asked of those baptized and their parents and sponsors focus on these three areas. Do you renounce the devil and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God? Do you renounce the empty promises and deadly deceits of this world that corrupt and destroy the creatures of God? Do you renounce the sinful desires of the flesh that draw you from the love of God? And note, please note, which one the church, in its wisdom, placed first. Do you renounce the devil and all the spiritual forces of wickedness? Jesus faced Satan immediately after his baptism. Now in Capernaum, he and his disciples, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, face one of Satan's menus, this unclean spirit. And I suggest this morning, Mark has recorded it for us for that when we come to him to follow him, we'll not be surprised when we face the enemy in our own, G- in our own journey. We'll be prepared If you've been in the Anglican fold for a while, you might have noticed during the baptismal service that not only do we have these three familiar renunciations, but we've placed, there's a a prayer that's been placed right between the renunciations and those affirmations that we'll make. Listen to this prayer. Almighty God, deliver you from the power of darkness and evil and lead you into the light of obedience of the kingdom of his son, Jesus Christ. What we read about this morning in that synagogue is a violent confrontation between Jesus and an evil, unclean spirit that possessed a man's soul and was ruling his life. He was under the control of evil, so totally so that he separates himself from Jesus. But Jesus confronts the demon directly and casts him out, sets the man free, and the people were amazed. You see, Jesus, with power and authority, knows who the enemy is, and filled with the Holy Spirit, casts him completely out. And Mark knew it was important for us, and the church knows it's important for us. For yes, Satan is real, and even as a Christian, we can be influenced by demons, but not possessed. You see, the fact that you are a Christian You're owned by God means it's impossible for you to be possessed or owned by Satan. 
For with trust in Jesus as our Savior, you not only have the forgiveness of your sins, but you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, marked as Christ's own forever. The Holy Spirit is God's stamp of ownership, and God does not believe in joint ownership. He does not share his possessions with anyone. So no Christian can be owned by Satan as demons, but we can be oppressed by Satan. We can be attacked. We can be tempted. We will face Satan in any way in which he engages us, but we do so knowing he's already been defeated. And we see it played out and lived out in that synagogue this morning. So let's just get a quick review this morning. Satan is real. He's not a cartoon character. He's been defeated, but not yet completely destroyed. So he continues to prowl around, looking to attack, to influence. Peter writes, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. He particularly works to attack, affect, and impact the church. He can and does rule and control the lives of non-believers. A powerful reminder to us of the importance of sharing the gospel to those who do not know the Lord and those who are bound and held captive. As a baptized Christian, he cannot possess you, but he can and does try hard and often to oppose you. But we have the power of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, to engage the enemy, which I think we're going to explore a bit more in the coming weeks during the season of Lent. But there are two things I want to close with and highlight this morning. The first is... Our battle, our battle is not with people. Our battle is with the devil. For we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's not people that we're battling with. It's the spiritual forces that we are battling with. And secondly, prayer is not preparation for the battle. Prayer is the battle. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are reminded by your servant Mark that as believers and followers of your son Jesus Christ, we do have an enemy, and we face that enemy on a regular basis. And I pray, Lord, that our testimony, our faith, the word of God, and the prayers of your people will combat and confront that evil in every opportunity that we have. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.